You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasa, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, and our production assistant, Daniel Tersini, we would like to welcome you to our show this morning. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Keeping well. Yeah, yeah, holding up. Do you guys watch the playoffs at all? Are you into those? I, I tried to, yeah. but uh, I wasn't able to as much as I wanted to, but for the most part, for me personally... I'm almost glad that I didn't because I realized how st- stressful oh. stressful it was. I know I know you were at the game, right? Uh, yeah, I believe for the for the Raptors that was kind of disappointing. But anyway, I'm not a huge sports fan. I, I didn't no. really keep in. No, I, I did hear about what happened in uh, in France though. The cathedral. Yeah, yeah, yeah the that's Notre awful. Dame. Yeah, I my last. Um, my last viewing of what was uh, on the news was that they were were able to preserve a lot more than they had originally thought. I haven't seen That's anything I, this morning. I you? haven't uh, spent too much time, unfortunately, uh, reading into this, but it is very devastating. It is devastating, and uh, like I said, what I what I read, um, they were able to preserve the crown of thorns uh, that was in there, and some other very important uh, pieces of artwork and uh, religious artifacts. That's what I last heard. I have, uh, in all honesty, not uh, followed up with it this morning, but uh, really very sad, especially going into Holy Week, um, an iconic an iconic architectural uh, cathedral like that. It's very sad that that's happened. So It is. Yeah. Very tough for the, the people and for, for all of us, really. It's a tragic loss. And I, as I said, I don't know too much more about it. I'm not sure if they've known or are up to what has happened as far as how this whole thing started, but... Um, all the best, and you know, here's hoping that we that we uh, can survive. Uh, uh, much more of it can survive than was originally anticipated. So, anyways, on to on to Holy Week. I'm sure that uh, you are very busy with the scheduling in the studio, or has that changed quite a bit for you? It's as anticipated. Yeah, very busy, busy. but uh, very, very, um, very productive at the same time. So good. It's. Uh, I hope everyone um, has a, a very blessed and, and meaningful Holy Week as we um, move into. Uh, the biggest um, uh, sacrament, though not sacrament, the biggest um, event on the liturgical calendar, yes. which is Easter. Yes, it's so, one of our longest seasons as well. It Apart is. from ordinary time, of course. It's uh, I think it's seven or, or seven weeks, I believe. Easter. Yes. Every year, Lent goes by faster and faster. Mm-hmm. Though it's uh, I find it I find it it hard to believe, but uh, yes. So good luck with everything this week for you guys, and uh, everyone have a, a blessed Holy Week. Thank, Thank you. you. 
Uh, today's show is live. Our number is 416-245-1534. Please follow us on all of our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And our handle on each is at the Health Hub RMC. And again, feel free to email us at thh at radiomaria.ca. We'd love to hear from you on, on all fronts. Um, I, I, like to, I like to directly uh, respond to the emails that we get. And it's very nice to, to know that you're out there listening. And, uh, and I do really appreciate it. Also, please subscribe to our podcast. We are The Health Hub on iTunes, SoundCloud, and all your favorite podcast platforms. And you can also find our podcast on the Radio Maria Canada website, which is www.radiomaria.ca, and on my website, which is kathybiasse.com. The podcast, the live show, and on the tape shows are usually changed over... um, Weekly, so by the end of the week, before the next show, we uh, on most most occasions have the the previous show's podcast up and going. Last week's show, building health relationships with Jonathan Thomas, is up and ready for you. That was a, a very nice a nice show, and it was really nice to have him in studio. So I think you'll like that. We've had a a few people uh, contact me and say that they really found. Jonathan, not only a very informative, but a very easy person to listen to. So, so do take a listen and let us know what you think. So I wanted to talk to you today about vitamin D. I don't think this is something that we've talked about on the show before. And um, it's, it's, it's something that is extremely important that we know about and that we have in our systems. Vitamin D is sometimes called the sunshine vitamin because it is produced on our skin in response to sunlight. So that is a key piece to to listen out for here. It's it's we make it, but it has to be uh, in combination with sunlight. It's a fat soluble vitamin, and it has many important functions in the body. Uh, perhaps the most vital are regulating the absorption of calcium and phosphorus, and uh, facilitating normal immune function. It's been studied quite a bit, and deficiencies of vitamin D are now being shown to. Um, be linked to breast cancer, colon cancer, prostate cancer, heart disease, depression, and weight gain, uh, to say to say just a few of those and many more. We need uh, vitamin D to help our gut lining work. Many, many important functions of vitamin D. Vitamin D comes in two main forms, vitamin D2, which is ergocalciferol, and vitamin D3, which is cholecalciferol. Vitamin D2 is found in plants. D3 is found in animal products, if you're consuming this in your diet. Most studies have shown that the D3 that we get um, from animal products is absorbed and used by the body better than D2. But with our four seasons here in Canada, we do struggle to get adequate levels of vitamin D. So many of us do supplement with it. We just can't, even in... Even in um, the beautiful sunshine in the spring and summer, you know, we are clothed for the most part. We don't have a lot of exposure of our skin to the sun. So the vast, vast majority of people need to supplement with vitamin D. Uh, A side note is that you should get your vitamin D levels checked because you can't have too much of it in your system. So we want to make sure that we have the right levels. I, you know, I, I have many people have told me that they're they're supplementing with huge amounts of vitamin D, which may be fine, but it is important that you do get your blood work done to know that you're not over and to know that you're not under. You want to be in that sweet spot. Um, so vitamin D, as I said, vitamin D3, the, the most readily used by the body, is present naturally in only a few foods. 
cod liver oil, and different types of fish such as salmon, tuna, and mackerel, and in eggs. So most of us will need a supplement. And a fun fact is that most vitamin D supplements are derived from lanolin taken from the wool of healthy live sheep. Lanolin is a waxy substance, uh, comes from the wool of the sheep, at some time is referred to wool wax or wool grease or wool fat. And the lanolin uh, that the sheep secrete makes their wool water resistant and protects their coats from the environment. Lanolin is a byproduct of wool farming and is gathered after the sheep have been shorn. So uh, it's a, I thought that was a very interesting fact to know where vitamin D came from, and I thought I would share that with you. So on to today's show. I'm very excited to talk to Dr. Antonio Stecco. He's an MD and a PhD and is assistant professor at Rusk Rehabilitation at New York University. He is a psychiatrist and is president of the Facial Manipulation Association. Dr. Stecco was assistant to the president of the International Society of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation from 2012 to 2014. His scientific activity is devoted to the study of human fascia from macroscopically, histologically, and physiopathology point of view. He has made over 100 cadaver dissections for his research And since 2007, he has organized and personally holds theoretical, practical courses about facial manipulation method in all five continents. He is author of more than 40 inextensive papers about fascia, and he has co-authored five books and is co-author of different chapters of international books published by Elsevier. Our learning points today are, what is fascia? I'm going to confirm it's fascia. I say fascia, but I was listening to some um, YouTube videos and they say fascia. Why is fascia so important? And how can manual therapy treat fascia problems? So we will be back to talk to Dr. Antonio Stecco.
You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Our show is live today. If you'd like to call in, our number is 416-245-1534. And again, please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Health Hub RMC. Dr. Stecco, welcome to the show. Yes, uh, hi, and welcome, everybody. Um, Dr. Stecco, your family has a long, uh, deep history with the study of fascia. How did you get involved in this? Well, first of all, I was physically human. So when you see the results, and when you are a young athlete, and you have a multiple injury, and you want to be fixed sooner, you know, have a few therapies in the home, it would be the best solution uh, to get the treatment to be you know, interested to get involved in this uh, fascinated argument that is fascia. Well, can you give us a broad overview of what exactly fascia is? So fascia is like a, a layer of collagen fibers that surround the muscle, nerve, vessels uh, in a different, in different level. So we can simplify like a long stock that cover all the legs, a long that cover all the arm, but at the same time, it goes in and reach the bone. Like uh, if you cut a transversely an orange, you see like, the set side that comes down in the, in the center of the orange. So it's, it's pervasive throughout our body. Now, the, the fascia at these different levels are they a performing different functions, and are they structurally different? Well, if we want to simplify, we have like a three type of fascia. We have like what we call superficial fascia that is in the middle of the adipose tissue in the middle of the. the we have the deep fascia that surround the muscle, nerve, vessels. And then we have the visceral fascia that over and connects the different organs. Each one has a different function. Can you go through them with us? Just the three levels? Yeah. So like the superficial fascia inside the hypoderma, it surrounds like the vein, like the saphenous vein that we have in the leg. It's in connection with the skin. So it's very related to like a lymphedema. It's particles vein, uh, alteration of the quality of the skin. So all this kind of alteration can be related to the superficial fascia. Then we have like the deep fascia. And the deep fascia is more related for a muscular transmission of force. So it will work for a range of motion. It will work for a mechanical transmission of force through the limbs. And so when there is a disorder of the deep fascia, you will start to have uh, uh, rigidity, you will start to have pain, uh, lack of proprioception. And finally, the visual fascia that is inside our cavity, they work for the mobility and motility of the organ. So when you have uh, like a particular type of constipation, a particular type uh, of... uh, 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 are very 
Okay, so just to, we're getting a little fuzzy on our end. So the fascia is involved in all levels of the body tissue. And you were saying that any pathology that you might see with the fascia, pathology might um, rear its head in lymphedema, varicose veins in the superficial level. And then you even got as far as saying that fascia within the intestinal tract, if it's if there's pathology to it, can lead to constipation. Is that right? Yes. We, we normally avoid to use pathology because when there's a pathology, there's already an alteration of the, the anatomy. So that is already uh, a very late stage of the process. So when uh, the problem is on and off, uh, that is when uh, we can really uh, apply, you know, a treatment uh, focused in fascia to restore uh, the function uh, and decrease the symptom. When it's too late, uh, as we say, like a varicose vein, uh, when there is uh, too much dilatation, uh, that is too late because uh, we have a really completely change of the anatomy. Well, something like lymphedema caught my ear when you were saying that. Is lymphedema, so this is a, a chronic condition for many people, especially women who have had uh, surgery, breast cancer. I myself have lymphedema. Is this, is the fascia, um, manipulation of the fascia, and we'll get into that therapy in a little bit. Is this an area that um, working and trying to increase the health of the fascia can be used within lymphedema? Yes, because all the lymphatic system in the periphery, it collects the lymph from the subcutis inside the lymphatic duct. The lymphatic duct, they travel in the superficial fascia, and then they go through the deep fascia in the deep compartment. So if the superficial fascia is rigid, it decreases the ability of the lymphatic system to drainage. And if the deep fascia is well, the hole where the lymphatic ducts go through the deep fascia can collapse. It can decrease the amount of lymph that can go from the skin to the deep compartment, so drainage to the, to the system. Even when um, lymphatic ducts, the nodes are removed, so even when nodes are removed, can manipulating the fascia help to overcome the lymphedema that uh, some people suffer? So when you, you have surgery, obviously you change the anatomy. But right. your lymphatic system is, uh, is very smart, let's say. You have a lot of passes to drainage the lymph. So if you can restore all the collateral uh, paths for the lymphatic drainage, also if you have a sacrifice with surgery, some lymph node, the other path it can take over, take care of the majority of the lymph. So our major target is to restore at the best the area that were uh, alterated by surgery but not sacrificed by surgery. That's, that's fascinating. Now, you know, I don't know how long you've been actually doing all, all the research. I know your family, as I said, is deeply invested in this. But years ago, fascia was just 
basically considered like a saran wrap, was it not? Just something that wrapped around uh, your organs and different aspects of the of the internal body as a protection. So the change in our understanding of fascia has greatly increased uh, through mu- much to do with a lot of your research. Well, uh, the most important uh, article that we published was the first one, now we have many more, is about innervation. So as soon as we didn't, we, re, we discover that the fascia is extremely, extremely well narrated, much more than tendon, much more than ligament, all the fascia has become a very important tissue for pain generator. This is, uh, it comes to 10 years ago. So like uh, the first article was in 2010, basically. So since then, uh, nobody knew that the fascia is a clear pain generator. So the people thought that it works for a mechanical position to wrap up the muscle to permit the gliding, but they didn't know that the fascia can generate pain. And is that the focus of what you're working on is is decreasing pain? Or are you also trying to work yeah. on... Now, is the pain... So the pain you're saying is the, the fascia itself can create a, a pain sensation, but... Is the pain then, is it an inflammatory thing that then inhibits the other functioning of muscles and, and anywhere else that the fascia is located? Yeah, this is a very important uh, concept. So we found that the fascia can become more rigid. If it become more rigid, it can compress, it can squeeze the receptor the nerve receptor inside the fascia. So it's not a really inflammatory pain, but it's what we call nociceptor, nociception pain. So it's a pain due to an irritation of the free-ending nerves in the nociceptor. So for this reason, most of the time with ultrasound, with MRI, you don't see any alteration. You don't see uh, an inflammation. But the patient is in pain. So that pain is, for the majority of the time, due to alteration of the stiffness of the fascia that will generate a nociception. So something like fibromyalgia or a frozen shoulder that has been so hard to treat could possibly be a misdiagnosis where it's, it's the fascia that's causing the pain as opposed to the underlying joint or the muscles surrounding the joint? Yes, so we, we published more than 130 articles in PubMed. We have more than uh, 10 uh, randomized controlled trials. And we prove uh, that uh, pain in the ankle, pain, some pain in the knee, in the shoulder, in, in, in the neck. So pain that uh, are not related to anatomical, major anatomical alteration, really related to a stiffness of the fascia. So... Fascia is involved uh, most of the time. In a percentage, it can be like 80% of the problem, 50% of the problem, but uh, alteration of the fascia is extremely common. And now in uh, NYU, we have a new MRI that is able to understand better the alteration of the fascia. So we can uh, have a, a a quick diagnosis. Really? So, I mean, it's very hard to diagnose a muscle issue, 
with any sort of imaging. Is that that's still from my understanding that's the case. So this is extremely um, uh, pertinent for athletes, for people who can't get to the, get down and, and figure out where their pain is actually coming from. Is this something that's very well known right now in the medical field, or is this just something that's coming on the horizon for most people? Would many doctors know about this? Yeah, unfortunately, it, it, like 10 years is a very short amount of time. So we, we are present, we present in more than 50 countries. Uh, for instance, in China, we present in many, many universities. Also in the U.S., we are present in many universities. But still, uh, you know, a bit. So to let the people know all this uh, anatomy, this physiology, this pathology, it will take, you know, years and years. It's not so easy to spread this knowledge. But uh, the, the situation is changing dramatically. So, for instance, the first Pasha Congress was uh, in uh, Harvard in 2009. And, and now we have a Pasha Congress in all, all over the continent and with 1,000 participants. So it's an exponential change in uh, medical field and healthcare professional field, but it's still, uh, it's still uh, you know, a bit for, uh, in comparison to what can be done uh, and how important is this knowledge for every clinician. Are you at the point where you can understand how to keep fascia healthy to to sort of um, uh, not get to the state where there's pathology? Do you know enough about that yet where you can say perhaps diet, lifestyle, or right now can you only deal with the symptomology of, of the fascia issues? So, well... Fascia can have also pathology. So we, we say that the fascia can have a, a fibrosis that is a really pathology, what we call densification. It is an alteration of the lubricant that is inside the fascia. So fibrosis is like scar tissue. So surgery, big trauma, they will generate the scar tissue. So the fascia becomes very thick, very rigid. With the MRI, you can immediately understand if it's something wrong. If it's too much fatty tissue. So this is quite rare, but very dramatic. But this is fiber, and we are doing more, a lot of research in NYU right now, is what we call densification. So the lubricants that are between the different layer of fascia can change from a simple lubricant to a glue, like to something mm-hmm. more sticky. So if it changes, they become more viscous, obviously the gliding will decrease. So the patient will start to feel like stiffness in, in, in the joint. The stiffness, it will be related to an irritation of the any nerves, so pain. So this is more, it's something relatively new, let's say, this is new. It, it's a little bit more difficult to make diagnosis because you need what we call elastosonality, with a particular ultrasound, all these new MRIs we have uh, uh, organized in NYU, that the name is T1RO, that permit to quantify, uh, quantify the type of lubricant between uh, fascia and muscle. Okay, so just to, to recap, um, densification is one of the issues that uh, this is part of the pathology, and the lubricant is 
with now is the lubricant within the fascia or between the fascia and the muscle or the fascia and the organ? Is it it's between, not within? Yeah. So in reality, fascia is made by two, three layer of collagen fiber. Okay. So when uh, the fascia have lubricant inside, they have lubricant between fascia and muscle. Okay. And so when that lubricant gets viscous, when it gets glue-like, that is what can cause pain and stiffness, and that may be the cause of people's issues as opposed to what we would just refer to in the past as a sore muscle. Correct. Interesting. Now, what causes this this lubrication, I don't know if you know the answer to this yet. What causes this lubrication to get gluey? Well, we have a lot of articles. So in vitro, there is a, a lot of lot of articles that explain that. So they already prove that because of the temperature make more uh, more viscous. Uh, immobility make more viscous. Overuse, so overproduction in accumulation of this substance make more viscous. Decrease of the pH make more viscous. So for instance, athletes that produce a lot of lactic acid, it, it, it decreases, like it increases the viscosity. So at the end of, for instance, of a marathon, you feel stiff. When you work out a lot, you can feel stiff for a couple of minutes. Because when you decrease the uh, the pH due to the lactic acid, the viscosity increase. Or the first step in the morning, you feel a uh, heel pain, you feel uh, ankle pain. Why? Because immobility makes more viscous. So the, this substance is basically is hyaluronan. It's, uh, it's like ketchup. So if you leave it, it becomes uh, sticky. If you shake it, it becomes... Are you there? Oh, Alex, is he here? It is not arthritis. It's not muscle problem. It's fascia problem. Uh, so, okay. So, where's the line between overuse and underuse? Then, uh, can we can we work out too much, or is this a rebound thing, or can we cause permanent damage from continually working out too much? This is very interesting to me. Well, we we are working to try to define a. Uh, what could be the good range between immobility and uh, overactivity? Uh, we don't have data yet. Uh, it's difficult to to collect data about that. Uh, but obviously, it's in the middle of the path because uh, uh, too much mobility it, it can drive stiffness. But accumulation of this lubricant produces a particular cell that we cover. We call fascia so this cells produce the lubricant. But if you leave too much lubricant together, it, it aggregates, it becomes more viscous. So, um, obviously, the, you have to move. It's good. The physical activity is very important. When you go, you do too much, it would be important to area to avoid this uh, aggregation, this increase of the viscosity. So we have try to figure out what's the best way, between stretching, uh, elongation. We are still in a work in progress. So stretching is key, especially after working out? 
these are our hypotheses. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, it, it, we have tried to, to see with some study how is the factor and uh, how works to avoid this kind of sickness uh, that can accumulate. Now, from again, this might be too early on. Uh, in working with athletes, is there um, a recovery time, or have you noticed when you're following athletes that there becomes a breakdown as time goes on? Well, obviously, athletes they accumulate. Uh, this viscosity, this stiffness around the body. So we don't know at this time uh, when and where it's too much, but okay. we already saw the outcome. So we follow a lot of team. We do also pre-season evaluation. We publish an article explaining how a pre-season evaluation, a pre-season treatment can increase the injury. Because uh, we know already at the beginning of the season, if an athlete has too much that they have, they have stiff, it could have more possibility to have a minor or major injury in this case. So, last month, we proved that two soccer teams, the one we treat at the beginning of the season, didn't have any major injury. The other one have two minor ankle sprain and two major ankle sprain. So treatment, it can uh, affect the quality of the performance of the athlete. Okay, so let's get to um, your fascia manipulation because this is, um, again, something very, very new on the horizon. Can you explain to us the therapy that you are teaching now and implementing on people? So fascia manipulation was found uh, more than 40 years ago. In, um, it basically is a manual therapy that uh, generates a deep friction in specific spots that we have mapped in the body. So area that uh, they are key from a biomechanical point of view. So these areas, the fashion, the muscle could glide very well. So if we feel through a manual evaluation, that there is a lack of gliding, we know that the digital joint is not working in a correct situation. So the vector that will reach the, the, the joint is incorrect. So we want to restore the gliding between muscles to let the joint distally work properly. So what we do? We assess the patient palpating different parts. In the combination of spots to work for specific direction, we treat it with a deep friction. That can take like two, three minutes, four minutes, depending on the, the, the chronicity. And right after, the patient has a result immediately. In fact, we don't treat more than two, three times. But what the people appreciate is that we are able to give a long-lasting result. Because with our randomized control trial, we prove that with three for treatment, we can give uh, more than six to nine months full after pain free. And that is what makes the difference in what uh, people appreciate of this method. Is the manipulation with an instrument or are you strictly hands on? Uh, hands on have a double advantage. The first of all, that you have a better feedback about how tissues are changing. Because you feel clearly with your hand. Uh, 
that the tissue from face for rough surface, uh, rigid surface, it becomes soft, uh, nice cladding. So you, you feel the change and you know when it's time to stop. Uh, plus, uh, if you use an instrument, uh, you can bruise the skin. And uh, facial manipulation doesn't bruise the skin. So it's painful treatment. But the skin is perfect. And uh, it, this is a great advantage uh, when uh, you use uh, your, your hands. Are you able to get to the deep fascia with the manipulation by using your hands? Yeah. Uh, lucky for us, uh, the, the fat is soft. So you can squeeze each working a specific spot because we're working like in a spot like a two centimeters square, even less. Uh, sometimes it's one centimeter square. So when you, you need a small surface, uh, you can go deep. It's when you have to you work with a large surface that you are not able to go through the fat. So lucky for us, we have to work in a very specific area. And so with the tip of the knuckle, with the cut point of the elbow, we can reach the deep fascia and we can really uh, address our treatment in the T-shirt we need. That's fascinating. Um, who is able to learn this technique? Anybody? Can anybody sign up for the program? Hello? Hi there, Dr. Stecco. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you very well. Okay, good. I was just wondering, who is qualified to learn this treatment? Can anybody do it, taking your courses? So we need a, a strong background in anatomy physiology. So uh, we accept uh, medical doctor, VO, PT, DC, uh, in, in Asia, other healthcare practitioners that have a three-year of uh, under bachelor degree. So um, we need uh, a clear uh, background to permit them to analyze the body properly. And they have a, an, a license that allows them to practice uh, directly with the patient. And do you have courses just for people who may be interested in understanding more about fascia? Yeah, we, we give a lot of workshops, uh, even dissection, anatomy dissection course, uh, because uh, these, uh, these information are useful for everybody. So from clinician, but also for uh, people, general person, that we want to know why fascia is so important for our body. So we provide uh, many, many education uh, courses, uh, also during Congress, uh, because uh, we believe that this information has to be spread all over. Mm-hmm. We try to do our effort to, to, to do that in all the countries. And your basis is in New York, and you are... Okay, so where have you seen the most benefit for people? Uh, back pain, fibromyalgia, where have you seen the greatest success? Well, the, the more dramatic response you have in acute pain. So... Whenever the people have like acute neck pain, acute shoulder, acute elbow, so acute pain, you see a dramatic response already on treatment. Because uh, when it is acute, the fascia is extremely stiff. So it's enough to put like one point, so like three minutes, and the pain drops. So the decrease the pain from 10 to 4 uh, is not so difficult. Mm-hmm. It's more difficult to go from four to zero because you have to really restore completely the biomechanics in that area. So for this reason, we 
we have a, let's say, successful results, in particular, and mostly because a lot of people take our course for musculoskeletal problems. But we work also for an internal disorder because the visual fascia is even important for our body. Is there anything we can do other than stretching to help keep our own fascia um, healthy? Uh, for instance, a foam roller. I, I know that that's probably as close as we get here to home therapy for fascia. But is there any other suggestions you can give us for keeping our fascia healthy? So, um, stretching, uh, is, for sure, is useful. I can uh, maybe suggest a static stretching for the inferior limb a dynamic stretching for front and upper limb because the fashion has in front is more than that. Okay. Other than that, we know that the heat uh, decreases the stiffness. So heat. all the person say, look, heat. Yeah. Okay. All the person say, look, when I have a hot shower, I feel is a clear sign that this is an alteration of the fascia. So all these uh, also patients, they look, you know, they, they suggest to put ice over my shoulder. But in reality, a hot bath, a hot package, it works better. It's clearly, clearly a sign that that is a myofascial problem. It is not an inflammatory process. That's, uh, in, that's very interesting. Ice, yeah, it's true. It's this, but this is like a it's worldwide. So if there is an inflammation, ice should work. If uh, ice doesn't work and hot packets work better, he, hot package package will increase the vasodilatation. So it should be it should worsen up the symptom. It should worsen the symptom because uh, vasodilatation will increase the inflammation. So important but, uh, point. As you will see. Yeah. Very important point. In fact, this make a, this make a lot of confusion because uh, people, it, it, you know, it prescribed ice, and then at the end they, they put the hot package and they feel better. And they are confused because they say, how is possible this? Because this is nociceptor pain. So heat works for nociceptor pain, ice for inflammatory pain. Okay, so I just I just want to repeat that to you, so because I thought it was a very important point. So if you are applying cold pack to a, an area of pain and you are finding that it is helping, that's probably an inflammatory issue. Whereas if you're applying heat to that same pain ish area and you're finding relief, that might be a, a myofascia area. That's that's very interesting to know. We're going to have to wrap it up here, uh, Doctor Stecco, and I do appreciate you coming onto the show. I want to give people your website and. It is uh, www.fascialmanipulation.com. Um, I, I highly suggest you go to this website. I'm sorry about a little bit of the quality of the show. So if you have any questions, please do feel free to email me. I can put you in contact with Dr. Stecco, or please do look at his website. It's a fascinating area of study. Dr. Stecco, thank you so much for your patience uh, through, through the... Um, a little bit of communication error, but I found it to be a very fascinating so- show. So thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. Well, thanks so much. Thanks for the invitation. And always a pleasure to talk about Asha. Yeah, I think we may have you back on again when we get a better sense of uh, a good crisp phone line, but uh, I really do appreciate it. Next week, everybody, uh, we will be talking with Sean Swarner about beating odds, beating all the odds. So do join us. Have a wonderful Easter, and we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub. 
You have been listening to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.